I don't think I have an addictive personality. However, I do when it comes to tango. So I can be an addict, but without ruining my health. I love that. Humans of Tango, where we explore what tango has to teach through the experiences of those who dance it. Anthea Okareki is the first human of tango I asked for an interview without ever having met her. I saw her talk about racism, inclusivity, and tango as part of a Facebook Live conversation organized by Tango Roundtable, which I've linked in the show notes and highly recommend watching in full if you haven't already. I messaged Anthea, and she graciously replied. It took us six months to finally set up an interview, and it was so worth the wait. I had a million questions I wanted to ask Anthea. And in an hour and a half, we barely scratched the surface. In that surface scratch, we glimpsed an intriguing expanse of similarities and differences. It reminds me of something Juan Cantone said in episode six of this podcast. Quote, it's beautiful to realize that we are very different and not so different at the same time. Unquote. This interplay between relatability and surprise enriches our interactions in life and in tango. And yet, over and over again, I see the same stereotypical portrayal of tango, one that for many of us may be neither relatable nor surprising, as observed by writer Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Quote, The problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue, but that they are incomplete. They make one story become the only story, unquote. You'll hear Anthea and I talk about that, along with the ways she's had to face and overcome stereotypes throughout the course of her tango journey. And speaking of hearing, I'm afraid the interview's sound isn't what I wish it were. So you may want to use headphones or find a quiet spot to hear Anthea better. My mom is from Jamaica and my dad is from Nigeria and they met in Manchester, in England, in the late 60s. So I was born in Manchester. And then when I was two or three, we moved to Nigeria because my dad and his brother had a business that they were going to start. So I had a lot of my formative years there, I guess. And then when I was 13, we came back to England because my uh, maternal granddad lived here. So we lived with him, but dad was still in Nigeria. So then I came back. And of course, culture shock ensued. <laughs> yeah, I was, what was that like? I mean, I imagine if you moved when you were two or three, you barely remembered. Yeah, I mean, we came, we did come over a few times during that time. Uh, and I guess when you're young, you just kind of, that's just what you're doing. You don't really think about these things. But then when I came back at 13, and we came back in November, so it was freezing. So that was shocking. And then I started school after Christmas, so in January, 
Um, so, you know, I had to get used to like the, the slang and the culture and yeah. And also this was in the 80s where, you know, overt racism was the thing. Um, and obviously I had a Nigerian accent. But the good thing was, because I grew up in Nigeria, I didn't understand racism because I didn't grow up with racism because I grew up in a country where everybody was black. So I didn't really know what racism was. So then when they made all these comments, I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. Which obviously frustrated them. <laughs> I, was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, which in my adulthood, I think is quite funny. Um, but anyway, I soon settled in because you adapt when you're young. I found my friends and yeah, it was good. I, had a, I went to a nice school, I had great teachers, I had a nice life. And then as I got older, I wanted, realized I wanted to travel. Um, my first big trip was to India. I uh, met a French boy there and he wanted to go to Colombia. And I was like, hmm, Colombia. And also reminded me that at school, I wasn't really into British history, but when we learned about the Incas and the Aztecs, I was like, ooh, I want to know more about these people. Hmm. I don't know why. And I kind of felt really like they were relatable. I don't know. Um, maybe my past life, I was an Inca or an Aztec. I don't know. But I was really into it. I liked the, I liked the textiles and the stories and the, the, the artwork. Anyway, so came back from India and decided that, yeah, I was going to go to Latin America. And so three years later, no, six years later, I did my first trip alone. And I flew to Mexico and I flew out of Brazil. And in that time, I ended up in Buenos Aires just before Brazil and flying home. I was two weeks in Buenos Aires. And in that time, I realized, oh, my God, this place is amazing. I want to live here at some point. Came back, found a flyer for tango classes in Sheffield. And I was like, hmm, this dance, it seems to involve a lot of leg movements. And I have I have legs because I'm quite tall. I have long legs. I was like, hmm, this could be a dance for me. I liked how it looked. I liked the music. So I took my first six classes once a week for six weeks and then I had to stop because I was starting a photography course which clashed so I did those six weeks semi forgot about tango and then got back into it three years later in 2007 when I went to live in Argentina so you just moved there because you wanted to live there you just thought it was cool well yeah Pretty much. I didn't know what I was going to do. I've done things like that. And people are always like, what? And I'm like, what? why not? You know, but it's funny to be on the other end of that question right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, have, I have that as well. You know, people were like, you're so brave. <laughs> and it's kind of like, well, it's not about being brave. It's about feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Um, yeah, I just decided that I was going to go there. And I found like a tango house kind of based myself there and then went on little trips to countries in South America but always came back so I'd go and spend a bit of time in Bolivia and a bit of time in Peru and then I'd come back and all through that time I was taking classes and going to Milongas and meeting people in the tango community in Buenos Aires and buying my first shoes. Wow so it was like it was like a traveling and tango period like you weren't you yes. weren't working or studying besides tango and the yeah. world yeah no, I, I kind of I, I worked a lot before I left and saved up enough money to have at least a year um I did consequently go back in 2011 to 2015 I did work 
the people who owned the guest house that I stayed in initially, they wanted to go travel and I became very close to them. And they kind of were like, do you want to come and live in our house and run our guest house? And you can live here and we can travel and we know you're responsible and we speak English and Spanish. So you can take care of the guests and we can travel and you don't have to pay your rent. So I did that. I went oh. back again. Wow. <laughs> and I kind of taught English for business as well at one of the multinational companies there. I was a maitre d' at Emily Longer on Saturday nights. I did some translations. I did some work in a shoe shop. Yeah, I did lots of things. The thing about Argentina is, or Buenos Aires even, it kind of pulls you in, but you you probably don't really know why. It's, there's so many, it's for so many different reasons, I guess. I think it's a mix of like the, the kind of crumbling the crumbliness of it and then the glamour of it and the and the people are so warm and I mean I come from England so when I went there I didn't get culture shock I was like oh I'm back in Nigeria hmm. you know like people are just very open and warm and friendly and there's so much culture there that literally everybody's a singer or a musician or a dancer or a writer all the things that I'm into um I'm just walking around and just hearing tango music and uh, I, I don't know there's just so many things that kind of bump up against each other and mm-hmm. and shouldn't be next to each other but they are um and I was just like I did the right thing here this is my place these are my people <laughs> I just saw tango and heard the music and it was like a visceral thing of, this is what I need to do I just love being in the milonga and even the moment when you're walking towards the milonga and you hear the music, like, especially when you're not sure if you're going the right way and you're like, is it around this corner? And then you hear the music and you're like, yes. There's something about the music and the bandoneon and those long, soft and lamentable strains that, that just pull me in. I'm kind of, I like to wallow in sorrow sometimes, you know, like I love the sad film that makes me cry. I kind of, when I try and explain tango to, to my friends or people that don't dance, I liken it to surf culture and how surfers have this whole kind of, I don't like the word lifestyle, but they have this lifestyle and this culture where they're obsessed and they're always looking for the perfect wave and, you know, they have their own aesthetic and I kind of liken it to that and people seem to get it. They're like, ah, okay, I understand now. Because everybody knows about surfers and surf culture, I guess. More movies about that, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> so people kind of know, people know about their obsession, don't they? Like everyone's know how like point, point, break. point break is probably the most famous one. Right? Exactly. I love that film so much. I mean, one of the reasons I started this podcast was like, mm-hmm. I just get very annoyed by how um, oversimplified I feel like the portrayal of tango usually is and the stereotype of like this, the, if you Google tango, it's all the same picture, you know, like oh, yeah. Yeah. the dude in the fedora and the dark suit and yeah. the woman in the red What's dress. with the fedora? Like who is wearing a fedora in no order one. to that? No and I know. And it's like no disrespect to red dresses or fedoras, but I just don't want people to think that it, I don't think it has to be that simple. Like I think there's, it has enough complexity and um, richness that it doesn't need to be one postcard and only attract people who want to look like that postcard you know yeah, for sure yeah I, I think because it's still quite niche because a lot of people don't quite know what, what tango it 
is because they think of ballroom, don't they? When you say tango, people think of ballroom tango. Yeah. So maybe there isn't enough stuff out there. You know, like people are always say to me, oh, do you have to get really dressed up? And I'm like, no, it depends. You can go in jeans depending on the event and, you know, whatever. But I just feel like it's a very, I don't know. It is, it is more of a subculture, isn't it, than a lot of other dances, I guess. Mm. I'm still not sure why that is, though. And that's fine. That's not a bad thing, you know, whatever. Um, but I do, I just wonder why everybody knows what salsa is and Lindy Hall. Anthea also dances salsa. Do you feel like people's understanding of salsa is accurate? Because I think with tango, it's like, I feel like a lot of people have an image in their heads of tango, but that image doesn't match my experience or what I really value about it. You know what I mean? What's the image? Oh, the the one I told you about. I feel like people oh, yes. picture that, yes. the red dress and the, uh, you know, like vaguely Latin, but European looking, white yeah. European looking people. Yeah, I, I feel like that's probably because of like um, cinema as well. Yeah, yeah. The cinema backs it up. Cinema. The cinema backs it up. But yeah. I think that's I think- that's the vision people have in their heads. And like, I just, it doesn't resonate with me. And so it's annoying to me as somebody who yeah. kind of I advocates for it. <laughs> Is salsa like that too, though? Like, do you feel like people have an image in their heads that's not accurate? Or is it more, I think that I don't have such a clear stereotype in my mind about what salsa is, other than sort of like happy. No, I think I think people have more of, a, of an image that is nearer to the truth than in tango. Like, I feel like people don't sexualize salsa as much either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like people are always like, when you say tango, they're like, ooh, do you, and they're like, oh, do you go with your partner? And 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 it blows their mind when I'm like, no, you just don't dance with loads of different people. And they're like, what? <laughs> what? Yes. Um, and I think people think it's all about like meeting someone and, you know, all of that stuff, which I don't think is as prevalent in when you talk to people about salsa they just think about like fun frothy kind of flirty but not sexual and everyone thinks everyone in tango is like walking off the dance floor and going to the bedroom yeah and that's also that leads back into those images the imagery and the pictures totally that are out there you know and ballroom tango as well I guess so yeah it's it's um Maybe it will change as the years go by and it becomes more part of popular culture. But I don't think, I think because of the music, that's not going to happen though. Because the music is very specific and very and niche. It's almost like an offshoot of classical music, maybe you could say. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not for everyone, maybe. And that is fine. It doesn't have to be for everyone. And I, but I, I think the music is why it probably won't become popular culture. salsa party upstairs and there was tango downstairs and the bar and the cloakroom were downstairs by the tango room and I was kind of flitting between both and I remember because I always want to recruit more black girls into tango and 
<laughs> all these black girls were walking down to use the toilet or the bar or the cloakroom. And they were kind of looking into the room like, oh, what's that? And I started talking to them and I was like, you guys need to get involved because I don't want to be the only black girl in the room. It's getting old. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they were like, oh, what is this? And they looked like they were really interested. You know, they were there for like, I don't know, six, seven minutes. But then one of them was like, why is everybody in there? Why is everybody white? <laughs> and I think they just look in the room and they're like, well, that's not for me, is it? You know, yeah. because there's nobody in that room that looks like me. And I was like, well, I'm there. You know, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Come and join me, my sisters. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe, I don't know. I don't know why that is. But I do know... I mean, I know that there are definite struggles to be had in tango, especially if you're a woman of colour. Because people will often say, well, there are, you know, look at all those, there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so. But the difference is these so-and-sos that they're pointing out to me are all black men. And obviously, you know, the, the thing with tango is that you want masculinity and you want this and you want that. And there is an idea that black men are, uber masculine and they're, they're very powerful and you know they're this and they're that and unfortunately whether or not that is true I'm not going to go into that but it's a trope but a lot of the a lot of these um characteristics get placed on the shoulders of black women so we're too masculine and we're too you know we're not elegant enough to to be to be gentle and graceful and and tango-like and you know we'll be very good at salsa and all the rhythmic dances but we won't be good at tango because it's too intellectual and it's too elegant and that's like a thing you know that's a thing that happens and you know people people I've had people say yeah I bet you're really good at salsa and I'm like well I'm in the milonga right now so what are you talking about (laughs) so there is Weird. There is this idea that we are these untamable wild beasts who cannot relax into the embrace, and it's it's a thing. And I don't know what I can, I don't know what I don't know what to do about that. But I do know that you know when you're a non-ambiguously presenting black woman in tango with short hair who's also very tall, you better be twice as good if you want to get any kind of dances. Like I've been in milongas where I've had no dances. Spend the whole night quite often um but there are you know there there is um there is an issue with tropes and stereotypes and I think when you're in the milonga and you're presenting as I do you are always going to be a black woman before you're a tango dancer I'll give you an example of why I say this um so I was at an event in Croatia I'm not going to mention any name. And I was at the afternoon at Milonga, which is really fun. And they were playing a Darienzo track. That Orquesta Juan Darienzo. And I was walking around the dance floor and there was a guy who was like humming, humming out the tune and the rhythm. He was kind of, you know, humming it very loudly. And as I walked past him, I kind of joined in because it's a really popular tune. Everybody knows it's very easy to, to hum along to it. And I joined in and we probably sang maybe let's say four bars of the song together right till the end and as it ended I sang it exactly like he did and then we got to the end and we both kind of I don't know we high-fived or did some funny stuff and I, and he looks at me he looks into my eyes and he goes 
I really like the African flavor you brought to the song. And I'm like, I didn't bring any Africa. I just thought I, I hummed it the same way you did. And it ruined that whole moment. And I was so mad. I just had to walk away and be like, yeah, anyway. That was nice. Thank you. Bye. I don't know why he said that. Because he's just saw me and he saw Africa. And there's nothing wrong with seeing Africa, but Africa was not involved in that whole interaction. You know, so just things like that. These are things that you have to deal with. Um, and I feel like, I don't know. I don't know what we can do about this. I don't know how it is in the US. But there is a real, for me, an issue um, in certain parts of the UK with how Black women especially will be perceived and how their talents will be perceived. And I know that there are a few women who I used to see around in the scene a few years ago and now they're not there Mm -hmm. because I always used to see them just sitting there, not dancing, and now they've gone. And I don't see them anymore. And that's really sad because I feel like if, if tango was more diverse, it would just be richer and more interesting. You know, it's Agreed. a shame. Agreed. It's a shame. Yeah. Um, I think certain nationalities are more, in my experience, certain nationalities are probably more amenable in their choice of partners than others. And they're usually nationalities that have a more diverse population, I would say. I just want equity in tango. And I do feel like in certain places, certain cities, I have to give myself a pep talk before I go to the Milonga. You know, yeah. I have to give myself a pep talk and say, you know, this is what might happen. Don't, not, not that I'm setting myself up for negativity, but I feel like since COVID, I'm, I've become better at it, but I have to be more like, you know, you might not dance as much as you'd like, but it's okay just you know don't internalize it whatever has learned a lot since she started her tango journey about her own learning process and about how she can take care of herself in her ongoing relationship with tango. The the thing about the plateau is after every plateau, there's, there's another peak to climb, isn't there? And you kind of ascend and I feel like when I take like a really good class or a workshop, I will then be very aware of everything that I wasn't doing. And because I'm an overthinker, I would overthink it. And then when I go to the Milonga, I would, as a friend of mine coined a term, she called it tango tense. And so I would just become blocked. And instead of, you know, because in the Milonga, you should just dance, right? You shouldn't be thinking about, you shouldn't be behaving like you're in a practica. But I would go to the Milonga and behave like I was in a practica and be thinking about what I learned and what I should be doing instead of just doing it because that's how my mind works. And this could last for two weeks. And for some reason, whenever I'm having this issue, it would always be a teacher who would cabaseo me, like, why are you cabaseoing me right now? <laughs> 
why? Or it, it would be someone that I always wanted to dance with, you know, who never looked at me. And suddenly they're like walking from Timbuktu to ask me to dance. And I'm like, why is this happening? Um, which would then exacerbate the issue. But I think if you are aware of what's in your mind, eventually it kind of sinks into your muscles and, you know, with, and you practice and you kind of get there. And then one day, maybe two weeks, maybe a month later, you go to a bit longer and you're like, what did my leg just do? I didn't know my leg could do that. What is, what is going on? And that would be amazing. And then you, you progress a little bit. Then I wouldn't take a class for like another two or three weeks because I just want to enjoy my newfound freedom. <laughs> Um, and that that happens but that that would happen really often actually so now I know what's going on I'm just like okay I'm just going to go to the Milonga it might be a hot mess or not but whatever it is what it is and that's the nice thing about you know 15 years in tango because now I can manage my expectations and I know that when I get blocked it's for a good reason because my body's trying to figure out and, and open the pathways to my, my, my brain and my body are trying to kind of link up with each other. I think because of lockdown, I had a bit of a break from the emotional anguish that I would sometimes feel being a black woman in tango and all of that, all of the things that entails. I had a bit of freedom from tango politics, which do exist, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, and I kind of enjoyed that freedom because I couldn't go and dance because nobody was dancing. So I had a bit of freedom from that. And I guess I got a bit of healing from the, the kind of stress, I guess, emotional stress that I sometimes had to deal with. And that meant that I kind of was able to remove myself a little bit from the wanting so much from tango and sometimes not getting it. And then getting sad about not getting what I wanted because I was so addicted. I mean, I'm still addicted, but, you know, healthily so, I'd say. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Um, and now, <laughs> and now I feel like I can just take tango for what it is. And sometimes I might roll my eyes at some of the stuff involved in tango. There might be some eye rolling going on. But while I'm doing the eye rolling, I'm still making a heart with my hands and eye rolling <laughs> through it. I still love it but I'm like Tango you're a hot mess sometimes and you need to just do one okay I still love it so right now I'm just chilling and I and I'm kind of rolling my eyes a little bit at Tango and all the politics and all the just all the stuff and you know when you're in a room with all these people and everyone's got expectations and angst and insecurities and passions and sometimes because I'm quite I'm quite open to people's energies and it's a bit overwhelming sometimes I'm like I don't have that space right now I haven't got the energy to go into a room and have all of those energies bouncing around like I feel like I don't want to do that so I'm eye rolling my I'm eye rolling I'm eye rolling Liz I'm eye rolling but at the same time I'm like let me just put some songs on on YouTube because I love it so much and I want to listen to it (laughs) do you know what I mean so I'm wintering, I'm, which is I'm wintering, which is eye rolling, but I still love it so much. And I get really, I get really moody when my friends go, "Are you still dancing tango?" I'm like, "Yes, I'm still dancing tango. I'm never not going to be dancing tango. Stop asking me that question." But I'm always so shocked when they're like, "Are you still dancing tango?" I'm like, "Have you not heard my passion? Why are you asking me this? <laughs> Stop asking me this. I'll be dancing until I die." 
Yeah, I mean, tango is definitely therapy. I don't want to sound like one of those people, whoever those people are. Um, But I definitely think it's therapy, and I definitely think it enables you to deal with all of your stuff. Not all of your stuff, but a lot of your stuff. Yeah. And, you know, there are highs and there are lows. And when the lows happen, I just open some Malbec. (laughs) Probably shouldn't be doing that when the lows happen, but whatever. Um, Yeah, I I think I've definitely dealt with some stuff and I've definitely grown because of tango and become, I would definitely say, a better person and a more resilient person. And I've met amazing people as well. Here's to taking whatever time we have to get to know each other and ourselves. Thanks to Anthea for her passion and insight. And to Sexteto Cristal a modern orchestra based in Germany that plays classic Argentine tango for permission to feature their recording of Viento Norte by Juan Carlos Suncho. Turns out that a love for this song is one of those many things Anthea and I have in common. <laughs> <laughs>